Well, hey there, church. I today am in our sanctuary. And as you can tell, there's some changes going on. A lot of work has been happening behind the scenes. We are uh, switching out the front part of the stage. It used to be temporary. Now it's going to be permanent. We are building a baptismal into the stage. And we are taking our sanctuary and adding new carpet to it so that we can add chairs instead of pews. A lot of changes And right now, it is a lot of mess going on behind the scenes. But here's the great news, that we realize in the midst of all of this mess that eventually it will lead us to joy. You know, among Beethoven's great works is a piece that is actually known as an ode to joy. It is the final movement of his Ninth Symphony. It's based around the message of a poem that that went by the same name. And it essentially tells the story of humanity walking through the mess of this world and ultimately finding God. But what I find interesting about that piece is, although it is called Ode to Joy, it doesn't always sound joyful. There are moments of triumphant joy, certainly, but they're contrasted with dark places and discordant notes and the entire thing's in German so when they sing it sounds guttural and and maybe a little bit angry. Yet it's the entirety of those feelings and those experiences that really makes it an ode to joy. Because it reminds us that joy is often found amidst the sharp contrast of the difficulties around us, amidst the mess of our lives. And that's what we talk about today as we begin our new series from the book of James, a series we're calling Move, Putting Faith in Motion. And we start our journey in chapter one of the book of James with a passage that in many ways is a recipe for joy. Yet we're often surprised by the ingredients in that recipe. Let me show you what I mean. James 1, verses 2 to 4. Here's what it says. Let's read it together, big voices. Go, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me give you some context here. James is the half-brother of Jesus. I mean, talk about a tough gig being the brother of Jesus. How many times did he have to hear, James, why can't you be more like your brother? He's so great, you know? Your brother Jesus healed three paralytics today. You won't even take out the trash. How many times did James have to hear that? It was tough for him. In fact, it took a while for James to work through all of that and eventually become a Christ follower, but but he did. He came to the realization that the true nature of his brother Jesus was that of the Messiah. And so it is James that gives us this book in the Bible that is all about connecting faith to action, a faith that actually makes us move. And as part of connecting those things together, James gives us this roadmap to joyful maturity, a road that James himself had walked. It's really James's ode to joy. And in it, we see some principles that will allow us to walk difficult roads that ultimately lead us to God's best. Very helpful, I think, certainly amidst the times that we find ourselves in. And the first thing that I would see James encourage us in is this. We get to first start 
the test. James 1, verse 2. Let's read it together. Big voices go. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now that's a crazy thing to say, isn't it? That every time I encounter a struggle, a trial, a problem, that before I do anything else, I count that trial as joy. Yay! He doesn't say, actually, it's only certain types of trials that you want to count as joy. Other trials, they're just all bad. No, he says trials of various kinds, all kinds, my kind, your kind. Every trial is to be counted as joy. We say, God, there's no way this trial could be counted as joy, God. And God says, yes, even your trial right now can be counted as joy. Now, why is that possible? It's possible because of this. Regardless of what pain a trial brings me to today, it has the potential to produce something great in me tomorrow. That being the case, I must train myself to see my trials differently. And and that is the beginning of my test. See, it's not just about the trial I'm facing. It's about how I see the trial that I'm facing. That's where the test starts. And, and, the, and when that trial comes my way, the first thing I get to say to it is this, you're a joy to me. <laughs> I can go, this is great. I've got a trial. I've got this opportunity. I consider this trial to be a joy because of what it has the potential to produce in me. Gang, to followers of Christ, pain and challenge is the perfect soil for God's orchard. Now that should be pretty encouraging to us these days because we really have a lot of good soil around us, don't we? There's this uh, gardenia bush that I planted two years ago in our front yard. And I, I like gardenias because it was actually my grandmother's favorite flower. And, and so it became that to me too. The smell of a gardenia to me is just, it's, it's the most amazing thing. And so I decided, well, I'm going to buy a gardenia bush and, and have it in the front yard. And so I planted it. And the first year, it, it, it bloomed like twice, like two flowers, like the whole year. But this last year, all through COVID, it has bloomed. And it started blooming in the spring and it has continued to bloom and I'll take off the dead blooms and it will bloom again. And it has bloomed the entire summer, all through COVID, all through the fires, and it is still blooming today. It's amazing to me. And it's a picture to me every time I see it of something that amidst such adversity that this thing of great fragrance and this great beauty can actually increase, not decrease. That's the way trials work in our life. We have to see trials as a beginning, not as an end. No, trials are actually the starting line for good. That's the test. Will we see our trials like that? Will you see your trials today like that? So start the test. So the second thing I would point out if we were to experience the joy that is found amidst trials is that we would learn what it is to stay the course. Uh, James 1.3, it says, For you know that in the testing of your faith it produces steadfastness. 
Now that word for steadfastness is an interesting word. It's not this idea of, of kind of a, a passive waiting. No, it's really much more of an active kind of endurance that it's talking about. The difference would be um, like me sitting in a waiting room at a dentist's office, perhaps, and I'm waiting to go in. I'm just reading a magazine. That's a passive waiting. That's not what this word means. This word is much more like a marathon runner running that race and just steadfastly continuing no matter how they feel and even pushing through the wall when they get to to mile 14 or in my case mile 1.4 when the wall hits but right there they just push through that is a steadying kind of endurance and active endurance that's what it means to be steadfast here it's active it's choosing to, to stay steady. It's a choosing to remain. It's a choosing not to give up when everything inside us wants to throw in the towel. That is kingdom steadfastness. Sometimes all that we can do is to simply not give up. And if you today, if you want to give up, I'm here to tell you, stay the course if all you want to do is give up on, on your job or on your marriage or on your church or on your life, this word may very well be for you. Stay the course because the testing of your faith will require you to persevere and the testing of my faith will require the same. We need to learn what it is to persevere you know, the old illustration of a, a butterfly emerging from their chrysalis, you know, when they were a caterpillar and they make the chrysalis and then they come out of it. And the illustration is of a butterfly trying to, to get out of that cocoon. And a lot of times people will see that and they're struggling to get out this tiny little hole to emerge from that cocoon. And folks at times have tried to help the butterfly. Oh, let's, let's cut, cut the cocoon open a little bit so that they can get out easier. We don't want them to struggle. But what ends up happening is out flops this butterfly, bloop, onto the, onto the counter. And its body's all big. It, it looks like Heimlich from the Bugs Life movies. Giant body, little teeny wings and it doesn't have the ability to fly because normally in that struggling process when a butterfly emerges from the chrysalis it actually takes out it squeezes out all the all the moisture from its body it actually thins the butterfly out allowing it to once it has then emerged from the cocoon emerged from all that struggle it can actually fly but if we take away their struggle they don't build the muscles required to go into the heavenlies. Among the abilities that Christ's followers need to become, all that Jesus made them to be is the ability to get up and walk when everything inside them wants to lay down and die. That we would stay the course. I, I know it's hard. Stay. I know there's parts of us who just want to say, I don't like this. Stay. Stay the course. Learn what it is to persevere because it's in that perseverance that we can finally find ourselves ultimately being led to the final and best part of this entire message. So stay the course. Even when you want to give up, be steadfast because that's what leads us to the best part of this whole message and it's where I would land us today and it's this that if we will be steadfast, we will ultimately be able to see the fruit. 
James 1 verse 4, this is what it says. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That when we start this test by seeing our trials differently, and when we stay the course, refusing to give up, especially when it's difficult, the promise of this passage is to experience to full effect the full reward of those choices. And it gives us three concepts connected to that. It says to be perfect, to be complete, and lacking nothing. In short, we will actually become the people God intended us to be. We will be whole in that moment. You know, I've been honored to officiate many, many weddings. And I'm still amazed at how much work there is involved in weddings, especially for the bride. I mean, with the groom, we're just kind of happy they showered when they show up. But, but with the bride, it's so much work. You're getting the venue years out and you're getting your dress a year ahead of time. There's usually, uh, you know, they're always expensive and it's stressful. There's usually tears involved in that. And then ahead of time, months ahead of time, they're doing practice hair and practice makeup. And then there's more venue issues and usually more tears. And then there's the bridal party. And then the, and the things that go on with that. And there's, there's activities and usually more tears, often angry tears around that one. And then the day of the wedding comes and, and the bride spends hours in the chair ahead of time. People are swarming around them like, like bees. And there's usually some additional crisis, like family drama happens in there. And, and, it's, and there's more tears. And, and that's how the day goes. And then finally they pull it all together. And the ceremony starts. And in walks this beautiful bride. And almost without thinking, the, the crowd rises. Because not only do they see how beautiful this bride is in that moment, they understand how much was required to get that bride there. And in that moment, though, as they see the bride, they realize in that place they are whole, they are complete, they are lacking nothing. That's what it is for us in the trials of life, in the difficulties and struggles of our lives. Those are the things that God actually uses as chisels to form us into his masterpiece, which means we can then see our trials differently, knowing that if we would hang on and refuse to give up, we will see the fruit of God's goodness in our lives. We'll experience that together. You know, um, it's pumpkin season now. Everything's pumpkin spice this, pumpkin spice latte, pumpkin spice deodorant. It's, it's everywhere, all over the place. And, and I think pumpkins are, are such a picture to me of this concept that, that throughout this season, we, we've seen other fruits get harvested and vegetables get harvested. We see squash and peas and zucchinis. They've been harvested all summer long. Yet all that time, the pumpkin is almost invisible, isn't it? It's just a flower out there on the ground. It's just a tiny little starter pumpkin, but he's green, so he blends in. You don't even notice the pumpkins until October comes. And it's there in October, after all the other produce has come and gone, that the lowly pumpkin comes to life, patiently growing behind the scenes, just staying on the vine. But then almost, almost in a day, that pumpkin turns bright orange, a symbol of the fall for us, 
a symbol of God working behind the scenes to make something beautiful before our eyes. It's that idea that leads me to conclude today with a story that God has been writing behind the scenes of our church. And often I think it's, it's those behind the scenes stories that are the most exciting and they often have the best endings. And I would say this story is like that. More than a year ago, uh, I was spending some time with Jesus and, and I clearly felt that he said this to me at that time. He said, Aaron, this season that you're looking ahead to is not a new chapter. It's a new book. I didn't really know what that meant, but I felt he said that. And I watched as the season continued and I watched changes take place. Changes all over the place at our church. Uh, changes in staff, both adding and subtracting. Uh, there was a new church plant with New Hope West. There was lots of changes going on. And more than that, there was an inward change in many of us. How, how, how do we do what we do? How do we follow Jesus in this season of time? And then January and February came of last year. And I, I had trusted people start to come to me and say, Aaron, we see all the changes, all this new stuff that God is doing. It seems like um, maybe God is doing such a new work that, that he would want to give us a new name. And they brought up the fact that, that a lot of times in the Bible, when God did a new work in a person, he would give them a new name. Think uh, of Abram, you know, he became Abraham, or Simon became Peter. A new work brought out a new name. There was this outward reference to something new that God was doing on the inside. And so they would say to me, it seems like God is doing something new in our midst. And perhaps God is giving us a new name. And I, I would listen to that. And at first I rejected it. I'm like, hey, we're, we're New Hope Eugene. That, this is what we are. It's good. It's all great. But that stirring continued. And I kept hearing trusted people say things like that to me. And there was a stirring going on in many of us. And then COVID hits, right? That's another huge change. We see in the midst of that issues of racial reconciliation. Again, major change, civil unrest, economic hardship, more change. And it became clear that God was wanting us to follow him in new ways, that he was truly doing a new work in our midst. And that led to the realization that God was indeed giving us a new name. Not just any name, but a name that would reflect to our town the message that will be so critical in the years to come. So, feeling then, understanding that, okay, God, you have given us a new name, it then became about discovering what that new name is. And God's so good because we asked in that time, would you give us a scripture to guide us in this process? And when we were in in-person services in the summer, the first of those services, Pastor Brandon actually brought a word to the church just in the ministry time. He just mentioned that, that, that this is the God who brings pathways in the oceans. He had mentioned that that came out of the book of Isaiah. And it wasn't long after that that Pastor Janelle brought to us a scripture that was all about the new work that God is doing, a passage from Isaiah, away in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. And we heard those two passages and we realized they were out of the exact same scripture. 
the exact same section of scripture. This is that passage, Isaiah 43. This is what it says, starting verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. That's the part that Pastor Brandon mentioned who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. And then this is the part that Pastor Janelle brought. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So with that, we knew God had given us this key scripture that would guide us into his new name for us. We also, at that time, did some values work to solidify the components, the key components of who God had made us to be. And then what we did was we gathered a group of people from our church. There were nine individuals with a secret mission <laughs> to help us discover this new name that God had given us. I called them Team Alias. I thought it was fun. And so we wanted them to represent the great diversity of our church in every way. So they came from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities. They were men and women. They were young and old. And for two days, under the great coaching of Pastor Paula and Pastor Joy, they went through the process to help them ultimately identify three potential names that were then given to the advisory team, and the advisory team was to pray and choose a name from one of those recommendations. It was a process not to just pick a cool new name, but to discover the new name that God had already given to us. And so it is with that, I get to announce to you today our new name as a church. A name that for me, answers the question that I've been asking, and it's this question. What are people in the years to come in our community, what are they going to be crying out for in their lives? And I think it's clear that people are going to be crying out for a refuge, for a place of safety amidst a world that seems to get crazier every day. But not just a place to hide, a place to heal in a place that we would then be redeployed as light in this dark world. That is who God has made us to be, and that is more and more who God will continue to define us as in the days and the years to come. And so, without further ado, as you're processing all of that with me right now, I want to announce to you our new name. So, drum roll, please. Maybe we'll add one right here. New Hope Eugene will now be known as Cove Church. Revive for the journey. Now, just on its face value, Cove Church says so much about what God has been saying to us. This idea of being a safe harbor, a, a refuge in stormy seas. But if you dig even a little bit deeper there, there's even more meaning. There is a definition of cove that actually involves a pathway through narrow cliffs, this narrow passageway through steep sides. The byline there is very important because we're not just to be a place that people come and they stop, but we're a place that people heal up so they can go that we can go back out into the world and make a difference. That is the idea of Cove Church. So, as you're ingesting this news, let me mention just a few things on the way, a few questions maybe you might have. You might ask, 
what is our relationship like then with New Hope International and, and New Hope West and New Hope Christian College? And the answer is it's good. Although we have this distinction in a name, we continue in good relationship. Pastor Wayne Cordero and the team on campus at New Hope West, they continue to be a wonderful voice of God's grace and God's gospel in our community. For me personally, Pastor Wayne's teaching has shaped and encouraged me perhaps more than any other individual on the planet. So it's good. And in one sense, this name change actually makes things simpler. So that when people go looking for New Hope, they're really going looking for Pastor Wayne. It's easier for them to find him. And they'll, they'll be able to get to him quicker. And for us, we, you know, we don't get mail mixed up quite as much too. You know, boxes over here, boxes up there. It's just a little bit simpler. But all of that is good. Now, let's talk about the process. As to the process of changing a name, there is a lot in that process, you can imagine. Work has already begun on signage, on paperwork, etc. But this process will take several months just to get the big rocks in, and then it'll take more time to complete this process. You're talking about changing emails and web pages and internal documents and social media handles. So it will not be tomorrow morning that you wake up and everything is Cove Church. Everything you see is now all Cove Church. No, you will see this change over the course of several months. So this is really announcement day. And it's a day I'm really, really excited about. So from here forward, we are Cove Church. And that will begin to be seen in many different forms. And when we are able to return to in-person services, and I'm hoping that will be very, very soon, it will not just be restarting the church that was before, but it will be the opening of a new church, Cove Church. And that is going to be a great thing. I am so excited about this new season and our new name. But that name, remember, is only new to us because God has known it all along. As we said when this pandemic began, let's, we said let's make sure we emerge from this better than we went into it. And this is a part of that. We're emerging with God's best right now, His newness, the newness of what He wants to do. So it is a new season with a new name, Cove Church. And I want to thank you again for being part of this church. We've all learned in these days what it looks like to trust Jesus amidst change. But as James reminded us, if we will persevere there, we will see our way to a great destination. We will be amazed again at how good God is. This is going to be a great ride together. And I just want to remind you again, we love you, friends. We are going to continue to pursue Jesus and stay steadfast and watch as he completes us in the fullness of his joy. Let's pray.